You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 375 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Hey, guys. Good evening. How you doing? I am uh, staying dry, so doing all right. Don't get blown away. Yes, I'll take a photo. It's we've got like fifteen foot waves, seventy mile an hour winds. You know, it's fun. Fun day on the coast. Oh, we call that a hurricane on the east coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I think it freaked us out the most the first day we got here. It was just like straight line, and it like made the house kind of shift. Like you could kind of feel the house move a little <laughs> bit. But the houses. I mean, I mean, this house has been here since the nineteen thirties, and they've had plenty of bigger storms than this. So I'm like. We'll be fine. I'm not worried. <laughs> so it's just weird. It's it's not what you expect. Yeah. Well, you know, so, so, sometimes beach vacations are terrible. Yes. Yes. I mean, we kind of knew that going into this. Like you, you book a trip to the coast in February in Oregon and it's likely going to rain or it's likely going to be really bad winds. In this case, we got both. So. <laughs> Diverity. Yeah, exactly. Mix it up. Um, so yeah, um, we have some follow-up from our last show. Um, and I think the question Seth really focuses around why is AA's fleet shortage, uh, not being taken care of by leasing from cafe? Like, yeah, I mean, that. So we talked about the fact that the 77 deliveries are foobar right now and, there's debate, should they have brought the the 330s out of the desert or this and that? Someone suggested, couldn't they just go, you know, Cathay's got spare planes these days. And certainly Cathay has spare planes these days, given how little it's flying. Um, I think one of the challenges there is Cathay doesn't really have 787s. Yep. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that's the only type that American could use. They could potentially borrow Cathay 777s, I guess. And, and Cathay has 330s. Yeah, I... I have to think that from Americans' perspective, the 330 pilot base is basically done. So get them all mm. back and recertified. Also, aren't most of the 330s a regional config? Yes. yes. It's like yeah, a slanty. Yeah, so they wouldn't use, they wouldn't probably want to use that. They probably wouldn't want to use them for the long haul flights where they need this sort of stuff. Um, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and they probably don't have the range. Well, certainly not as some of the crazy routes that the 787s were supposed to serve, like San Francisco, Bangalore. I mean, Seattle, uh, Seattle, Se- sorry. Seattle, Seattle, sorry. Yeah. You know, one hub or another or fake hub or another. Um, yeah. So I, there's uh, something there, but I think it's probably the wrong types of planes. Mm-hmm. Much as anything else. But the 77W should be a good uh, way to augment the fleet. I mean, American has a, it's the same as this triple seven, two hundred yeah. from crew perspective and both have first class. And I mean, and they have, uh, American flies seven, seven W's like right. not just the seven, seven twos. Yeah. And they have the cabins. I agree. Um, it's probably too much airplane, right? The, the planes that American short are seven, eight, seven. I think I can't remember if it's dash eights or dash nines, but, Figure two hundred ish seats, not three hundred plus seats, two hundred eighty seats, something mm-hmm. like that on the Cathay config. So, I mean, again, it comes down to the 
A, do they have enough enough pilots in that group? Because right, the triple seven and the seven eight seven are still different type rating, so they still have to do some conversions. Easier than the, getting three thirties back, but still some conversions. And how many of them do they really want to put into service on a different product? And uh, I could think of some routes where you dedicate them where it makes sense. Uh, you know, sort of. Uh, Product-wise, right? I, you know, probably the New York to London or something like that. Some of the London routes where it would make some sense. Maybe the London routes that are flying in and out of uh, Heathrow T five, which I don't know if we ever talked about, but that's happening. Um, yeah, we putting, should we should talk about that because we we haven't. So yeah, they're putting. Uh, I think the planes with first class cabins are basically all going to fly out of T five so that they can get uh, they'll get Concord room access for the first class passengers and fun stuff like that. Huh. Uh, but the other routes, I think like Philly and Charlotte are going to stay in T3. But all the others don't ha- all have first class, do they? I thought a bunch of those are 772s now. The routes? Yeah, like Dallas and JFK. Yeah, there's. I would say they're probably still the premium destinations. That's fair. Um, and not, some of them have not first confuse, class. Not confusing at all for passengers departing London, right? Yeah. <laughs> is it any different than post-merger United Continental, where depending on where you're flying from, which terminal you're going with, or post-Delta Virgin Atlantic, same thing? Or Continental in the late 90s, where if you were flying to Atlanta or Dallas or Chicago or D.C., you went to Terminal A instead of Terminal C at Newark. Like, there's these sorts of things happen all the time. And yes, some people get confused and go to the wrong place. Atlanta also, if I didn't say that one. Um People get confused and go to the wrong place, but they usually get it sorted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if anything, I feel badly for the people that have to make the signs at the airport. Those people... <laughs> <laughs> Just extra, but, extra work. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I think Americans annoyed that it doesn't have these planes, but not so annoyed that it's going to actually do anything about it. The, the, the alternatives always seem too hard to me. Or just not yeah. worth it. I mean, yeah. is it, could Americans secretly be happy about this? Like canceling the Bangalore route over time or something? Like or, slowly you know, just now, close away. Well, now's not the time or the foreseeable future for a lot of these routes to be profitable. Well, I think that's the big question is like, would they cancel this? The, the main long haul routes that they suspended this year were DFW, Tel Aviv, uh, Seattle, London, and Seattle, Bangalore. Um, Argue, you know, the we'll have to see now how long the uh, Russia-Ukraine thing lasts and what the impact of that is more broadly uh, for travel across the North Atlantic. But the to me, assuming that at least as it looks now, North Atlantic travel remains open, everybody is betting heavy, and that the borders stay open. Everybody is betting heavy on North Atlantic rebound this summer. So. Maybe the Seattle-Bangalore uh, route, they're Americans secretly a little happy about, but the others, I would imagine they're pretty annoyed that they can't try to grab some of that money, especially for the summer peak runs. But Seattle-Heathrow, they can do on a 772. Yeah, I don't think they have any spare 772s to do it with. I think they're, they, they, they were running on a 772, but they were going to switch it up to a 78. But they've, um, got, they've got some doing domestic turns, right? You can true. pull it out of the domestic market. Move it to that if it's really important. Yeah, yeah. 
that, that's that's the one that confused me, Seth, is that they actually started running the Heathrow uh, Seattle run for the route, and then it just disappeared. They actually operated it. Yep. Hmm, right. Uh, right near. Right near the end of the year, uh, I was pretty sure that they were running it. All right. I mean, on a, on a seven seven two. I, I, so I mean, it's weird to me that they wouldn't want to keep that one up. But maybe with the winter schedule, they just said, "Screw it, we'll just let BA take it." And whatever. Yeah. I mean, especially for the. I, it's still weird to me that they're. I mean, obviously they get to, they're allowed to coordinate and they do all that on that particular route. Um, it's still super weird to me that they're not uh, letting BA do more of that, especially given where BA, where BA's long haul fleet sits right now and what it has and like the slots and everything else. I don't know. It just seems weird to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's really, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird situation, but yeah, uh, we can talk a little bit about new events. Um, and I think the big one is the situation in Ukraine, uh, the war with Russia and some of the impact that that has had on aviation. Uh, I think the first topic is NOTAM. So notice to airmen. Ah, uh, 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 notice to air missions, air missions, excuse me, uh, because that got changed. I'm uh, yes, politically incorrect. Um, Factually so, incorrect, Stephen. It's not just political. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. No, that was good. I, loved, I appreciate it. <laughs> I've not been just, correcting everybody on the just, internet, too. So, you know. I'm not just wrong, just really wrong. Um, <laughs> my typical happy self on the internet about that, too. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. They, I'm, I'm happy that they've made the change, so it's good to bring up. But, yep. and, um, and so what are those no tabs now? So... Somewhat surprisingly, the first was that the United Kingdom blocked uh, all flights by Russian airlines passing over its airspace, except if they were on a transatlantic routing or had received clearance to, you know, go long haul, but basically preventing the Russian airlines from landing in the United Kingdom. Um, As a side note, and I actually still don't have an answer to this, uh, what does that do for Aeroflot slots at Heathrow? I hope they lose them. If they don't use them, they lose them. They lose them, yes. Um, And there's carve-outs for COVID-related suspension of operations, but I don't know that the typical slot usage rules have a carve-out for uh, acts of war or uh, other similar types of things, suspending operations in that context. So that's a super interesting just side note of what's going to happen there and the sort of broader financial impact and shifting markets and whatnot. But the UK blocked Russia from being able to fly uh, in and not surprisingly, Russia more or less immediately retaliated blocking the United Kingdom from overflying Russia. Uh, Arguably in some ways, a more significant issue because of all the routes from Europe to uh, the far East go through, go over Russia typically. Um, and then in quick succession over the next few days, basically all of Europe has joined suit, including Switzerland as of Monday, uh, has, I don't want to say sh- disavowed, but has shifted away from its always 100% neutral stance and is actually taking a position on this, which is a huge deal in many ways. Uh, also freezing funds, <laughs> um, mm. which is kind of crazy. But yeah, they so basically... 
no one can fly over Ukraine for many obvious reasons. Uh, no one wants to fly over Belarus right now, both because of the issues from before about the Ryanair uh, thing and then flight being sort of forced diverted. And then also because they are proving as a staging grounds for the invasion. And then Russia can't fly over Europe anywhere. They actually had a flight on Monday that didn't publish its destination. And then finally was like, oh, we're going to Verona, Italy. And both Greece and Italy had closed its airspace. And they sort of like crossed the airspace line and then turned back around and, you know, eventually diverted to Istanbul. Um, But all of the European carriers can no longer overfly Russia as a result. And Finnair is probably the most effective. Finnair has made a huge investment and shift in its marketing and sort of operations to be a Far East player. China, Japan, Korea, um, mm-hmm. Hong Kong. I know they had, I mean, it's the, I was t- actually talking about this with my wife at dinner tonight. One of the interesting things about this to me is if ever there was a time for this to happen, the middle of COVID related border closures is almost a good thing because it's mostly Asia that is still closed off China, especially Japan as well. Like those routes are scaled back dramatically. So it's, there's not as many affected passengers, but it's still, I think 60% of uh, Finnair's long haul routes are across Russia and it can't Mm. put any of them right now. I mean, I, I think I read something that they had to change their uh, financial expect down yeah, by they, like twenty something percent. They issued the Finnish equivalent of an eight k uh, unscheduled uh, report of material changes or something like that, um, material events, and it's basically yeah. On Monday morning, they issued a an advi- an investor guidance saying we're screwed, um, and it, I think they actually even used the fancy words of. Uh, concerns about being uh or i forget what it's something about a going concern there there's consideration that we may no longer be a uh, business going forward if this lasts too long um you never want to be, be a company that has to put that in writing um because it sort of triggers all sorts of things but uh it's a very real concern for a lot of airlines finnair most notably uh on the european side i suppose aeroflot <laughs> on the other side but yeah, so there there was one interesting thing that I learned Sunday about how all this works is all of the, uh, almost all of them, I, I would assume all, but I haven't read all of them in detail. Uh, closures have been pre- precluding overflight of national airspace. And for many countries, that's just your fear, your flight information region, right? That's the ATC part where you control. But for some countries like Iceland, for example, controls a massive swath of the North Atlantic ocean and is a tiny little Island. And it turns out that the entire fear is not the national airspace. You only get your land plus the 12 mile territorial waters, you know, ground to surface is your airspace. So you can't, you can't, you can't close the entire fear. So Iceland can't close the fear to Russia, which we tried to get an answer on this. I think that becomes an ICAO thing where like the, you know, international UN organization that handles international civil aviation organization, right. They handle all that sort of stuff. I think they regulate those things. Mm-hmm. And so it's not even with quote unquote, Icelandic airspace closed. It's only if you overfly the Island directly. 
but you know, in France, that means you can't overfly France because that's what they control. Iceland is obviously very different. Um, yeah. But that was an interesting development. But what it basically comes to, there's an, a, there's also a super weird thing. So between, a st- there's, is it Kaliningrad? Is the Russian exclave that's in the Baltics? Yeah. Um, is fully, you know, separate from quote unquote mainland Russia, if you will. Um, but is often connected by air. And the gap between Estonia and Finland is about 24 miles or excuse me, 28 miles. So it seems that they sort of split the two. And Hmm. if the planes go straight down the middle and it's, there's some weird things that there's someone has also explained to me that it's possible. um, Now national airspace part, notwithstanding you can also fly not in a fear, not in a flight information region. If you just stay on the line. (laughs) And so you literally just like tightrope this, this line, the border between the two different air traffic controllers. And you don't technically obey the rules of either about not being able to fly. El all was apparently famous for this going down the red sea back in the day (laughs) uh, to get to Asia. This was actually mentioned as part of the MH370 thing as well, because they they skirted two fears during during that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, but it was um, there's some really interesting bits about that, and apparently to do it, you like broadcast your position on a specific frequency that is known to you know people who do that sort of thing, um, and you're but you basically are like, hey, I'm here, not paying attention, any of you. I'm here, not paying any attention to you, but make sure you know I'm here. I'm here um, the whole time you're doing it. And then eventually, uh, you know, you, you get out and go back into one of the other areas. I'm trying to see if I can find the details on it. Um, but yeah, it is a super interesting concept and how that happens. Here we go. Uh, you don't talk to ATC. The, the way El Al did it, after leaving Cairo, they simply broadcast their position to other traffic while flying the boundary line until they got far enough south and entered Eritrean airspace. <laughs> um, and sometimes they had to go even further in transit Djibouti and some other things because it was so funky. But yeah, there are ways to do it um, in strange things. It's an IATA protocol, apparently. But uh, between Jeddah and Khartoum, they would they would they would fly the Red Sea between Jeddah and Khartoum, fears uh, to get to Asia. Hmm. Anyway, uh, and now they were allowed to overfly Saudi Arabia for crazy reasons. So you know, well, and so this has caused like issues too for I mean I guess like passengers going to India, right? Yeah, like from the U.S. Well, um, India to the U.S. isn't affected yet, and so this is a super interesting thing. Um, there's a lot of people asking why the U S hasn't closed its airspace to Russian airlines. And as of Monday uh, afternoon, I guess uh, sec- press secretary said, you know, everything is on the table, but it's not, you know, something that we're actively pursuing right now, effectively. And there's a Congress person who's trying to get a bill passed, forcing the closure of the airspace. And I am strongly convinced that that's a bad idea to put it mildly. Um, the India flights is a half dozen in planes a day at most. And American is already stopping in Bangor most of the time. Anyways, um, we've talked about <laughs> that before. So it's mostly would be United that got screwed on that deal. Um, 
And I'm maybe not a huge fan of paying Russia the overflight fees, which are substantial, you know, hard currency going into the Russian uh, coffers right now. But the counterpoint is it's not just the India flights. It's all the cargo. Mm. There's a lot of cargo flights uh, between Asia and North America that cross Russian airspace. And we are already in such a tight cargo market right now that in many ways it makes Russia's not going to, I don't say isn't going to, but for Russia to fly to the United States, they'd have to go from Moscow due north up over the top of Finland and Norway, loop around Scandinavia, come down sort of probably under Iceland at that point, because you got to go south of Greenland because you can't cross the Greenland fear because it's all to close territorial space, national airspace, and then skirt further south and sort of stay just offshore of Canada the whole time, and then eventually get to JFK. And if you wanted to go to Miami or LA, fly either down the coast or Transcon. I think those are the three markets uh, currently being served. I will say that an Azure Air, which is another Russian airline, did essentially that, went up over the top and all the way to uh, La Romana, Dominican Republic on Sunday night, Monday morning. So um, the airlines have to added two hours of flight time to an 11 hour trip. Um, so <laughs> the airlines have figured some of that out, but the amount of extra flying that's involved there and questions, especially as the, uh, Russia gets closed off from banking services as to whether, how are they going to buy fuel? Mm-hmm. How are they going to pay landing fees? Is JFK going to let them take off again because they haven't paid their landing fees yet? Like, do you have a do you have a bag man flying with a suitcase of hundred dollar bills? <laughs> you laugh, it's happened. Reminds well, me of the skitten airplane, right? Where they hand over a credit card out of the cockpit yeah. window. I mean that's that has also actually happened in real life, but I mean and there's ways to do it, but you know, there's what's called captain's checks, which are essentially travelers' checks that are backed by the full faith and credit of the airline, but what good is that if your airline is no longer participating in banking systems? Yeah. Right, you're you, you going to impound you next time you show up. Like, th- th- there's a lot of challenges with that, and so I'm not convinced that there's going to be much Russia to U.S. traffic, anyways, uh, by Aeroflot. And so, if Aeroflot's not flying over the U.S., it's it becomes a symbolic gesture, which is important. But if you can continue to extract maximum economic value and even potentially help out the allies who are, you know, in Europe doing the blockading. Um, by having access to that extra cargo, it might not be the worst thing in the world. Is where I come correction, in. correction. It yeah. is not just symbolic; it is realistic because it is real because of what you said about putting hard currency in Russian hands. That's for fair. Flight fees. That's fair. So, I, yeah. it, the money part is is real. I'll give you that. I think the value to the U.S. macroeconomically is, is greater yeah. to keep that open if they can. Yep, um, I agree. The other one that I'll throw out there just as an added bonus, Boeing would be screwed. Because they get stuff from Russia when it comes to building plane parts, right? Partly that, but that's right now is already closed off because that's actual, you know, Mm -hmm. trade. uh, That's trade. Volga Dnieper cargo airline Mm -hmm. flies the Antonov 124. Oh, Ukrainian airline, right? So, well, the Volga, there's the Antonov airlines. And there's the Volgonyeper Airlines. Volgonyeper is the Russian one that owns half the 124s, and Antonov owned the other half. 
also owned the 225, which is at this point presumed destroyed and was the only one in the world. So that's very sad. Um, but the 124s are used as cargo to carry various things like engines and the 767 mm. gearbox and oversized things that don't fit in other types of planes back and forth across the United States to uh, Charleston or Seattle for final assembly lines. So oh. even like just before this whole thing came down, uh, Volga Nyeper applied for the uh, rights to fly tail fins and something else across the country for Boeing. And they do it mm. on the regular. So, and it's, they have like the only planes that can do it because the size of these things doesn't fit even through a nose opening 747. Mm. And they don't want, and I guess they don't have the right jigs for putting them in the Dreamlifters, or they don't fit in the Dreamlifters. I'm not sure on that one, but yeah. the the gist of it is the you know there's parts of the U.S. economy that need Volga Dnieper operating, even if and again that's money that's going to go back to Russia, and I don't know, you know, right? There's there's also questions about like can they, are they going to be able to continue to fly those 124s now if there's can't get spare parts from Antonov, and how are you going to manage that? But. The, there's a lot of it's it's way more than just okay we're closing our airspace even though no one's flying here yeah the calculus isn't super simple yeah it's, uh, it's a little more complex um so real-time follow-up right uh, i'm looking at uh air canada flight 44 which is typically flies toronto to delhi hmm. and is it actually stopped in, Tech stopped dublin. in dublin right yeah yep they had to take the southerly uh, route um, rather than yep. coming straight north out of Russia. They took the southerly route across the Middle East and then up into Europe and tech stopped. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, they're doing it, is tech stopping too. They're doing it. They're doing it to Delhi as well, which I find interesting. Maybe they're dropping off crew in Dublin. Um, uh, and it's a much it, longer routing. Yeah. Yeah. It's inter- I mean, it's, it's causing a lot of chaos. Now, what are your thoughts on, I mean, this, if this had happened 15 years ago, 20 years ago, these planes wouldn't have been able to make these trips, like some of these super long hauls that these planes right. are doing. It, it wouldn't have been possible. Correct. I mean, uh, the other thing I'd ask is, right, what happens when Turkey's airspace closes? Oh, yeah, because like if they close it, like they close the Dardanelles, um, which they have the right to do, but if they close their own airspace just to screw with Russia some more? Or they get mired in the conflict somehow or they side mm. with Russia. Yeah. I mean, then you're, then you're forced er, er, to er, er, Erdogan to has shown, Erdogan has showed questionable judgment geopolitically over the last couple of years <laughs> in my yes, mind. Correct. So, um, yeah, that, that will listen. It, there's a lot of risk right now, well beyond, um, the very basic levels of stuff we're talking about. And so, so what we're saying basically is uh, that airline that's going to start in Anchorage, maybe they had the right idea. <laughs> Northern <laughs> Pacific. Someone asked me. So someone yeah. was actually joking about that in our, our mentions this week. Uh, uh, asked about <laughs> that on Twitter. Uh, yeah. I mean, sure. They actually, <laughs> not quite. If if the U.S. closed their airspace, they, then those guys couldn't fly because they need to be able to, they need to use Russian airports as their diversion points because they're not doing ETOPS. Oh yeah, so, so it's not di- it's, not diversion points, but is waypoints. So it's just because it's it just makes uh, Anchorage into a super hub again. But it does make Anchorage back into a hub again. Yeah, so that's the <laughs> other thing is like again, if you go through the polar airspace but not within twelve miles of Russia, and you're a European carrier, you can sort of hop across to Anchorage 
and then hop back to uh, East Asia, right? To <laughs> Korea, Japan, Hong Kong, maybe. I mean, no one's going to Hong Kong right now, so that's silly. Taipei, I guess. Um, yeah. And it, if it's, mainland China opens back up, I guess you'd loop that way. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what's interesting to me, too, is like I've seen mainland Chinese carriers just fly right like Amsterdam to oh, yeah. you know, Beijing. You know, and just doing Russian it. airspace. Yeah, and they did it today. It's, uh, it's it's weird. It's just kind of weird. Yeah, well, it's so again. I mean, it would be it, it would be interesting for me to see if like a U.S. This is one of those fun ones you could start playing games. Like, does U.S. and Europe sign a quick special bilateral treaty or the with the EU or something like that, a multinational treaty, and says, and actually most of them already have these rights anyways. Um, U.S. carriers can fly cargo between Europe and Asia. And they're, because they're a U.S. airline, maybe they still have overflight rights, even mm. though they're coming from Europe, just the way the Chinese ones do. And European carriers fly the cargo routes from Europe to, or excuse me, from Asia to North America to keep those things moving. There would be a lot of logistics to work out in terms of crew and, 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 but like, could they do that if this started to stretch on too long and like keep everybody working and keep things moving? Yeah. Um, another consideration is that because Russia is being cut off from f- uh, financial services globally, right. They're being removed from SWIFT. They're having bank accounts frozen, this and that uh, the major leasing companies are considering them in default and asking for their planes back. But how do you hmm. get the planes out? So most of the modems have been updated to allow one-way lease return flights. Okay. Um, but you still got to have someone get into it. Either you trust that Russian pilots are going, you know, airflot pilots are going to somehow do that. Or you get someone like Steve Giordano and some of the other like crazy guys who are repo men to get into Russia, collect the planes and fly them out. Well, hmm. I mean, if you get an, Someone from Aeroflot to fly it out, right? They can't get back home then, right? Because there's well, they can via they can via Dubai or Abu Dhabi or Istanbul or Istanbul. Yeah, right. You can. So that was the one. That, another thing is like the uh, the Moscow JFK flight. I guess Sunday night got halfway across, it got to Greenland, and it turned around. Presumably, there's a J, uh, Aeroflot crew sitting at JFK wondering, well, shoot, shoot, we don't have a plane anymore. What do we do? And the Cancun flight was over flying the U.S. or was off the coast and made like it was going to divert, sort of flag stop at JFK. It sort of started to make that left turn and then immediately turned right and went back out over the water. Hmm. Uh, maybe that was the Miami flight. Uh, no, I, what, I get them confused. The Miami, one of them overflew Canada and caused all sorts of trouble um, because it wasn't supposed to be there. And the other one sort of pretended like it was going to divert and then didn't. And my comment was, it's got to be easier to buy however many seats you need on Emirates or Qatar or whoever else, Turkish, whatever, whatever airlines got seats available going back today and get your people home that way, then to divert the plane and potentially have it then stuck on the ground. Right. At this point, like who knows with how quickly some of these things are changing, if a plane's going to get impounded next time it lands. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I, and, and, and is Western, Southwestern Russia closed as well? Like, have they closed their airspace just because of 
percent so of a lot of it? a lot of I think it's like depending on who and I forget who issued the NODAM, but someone basically said anything I think within a hundred miles or one hundred and twenty kilometers, some some distance of the border is basically a no fly zone. Gotcha. Okay, so that explains why. Well, this explains why flights are going way out east yeah. over you know east of Georgia. Uh, coming back in. Yeah, yeah. Over the what is it, the Caspian Sea, you know, and then and then turning back to wherever they're going. So yeah, um, yeah. It's it's fascinating. I mean, it's crazy times we live in. And and I hate to say it, we're just getting started. Yeah, yeah. And so for these leasing companies, I mean, I think Steve George, uh, Giordano did a did a great job in his Twitter feed of explaining kind of how these leases work, right? Because uh, planes not manufactured in Russia. Um, are not registered in Russia. Yeah, um, they're registered in, yeah, as a general, it's an easy way to think about it, but it's, so it's, they're either uh, registered in Barbados or um, what's the other one? Uh, Cayman? Bermuda? Uh, the Caymans. Yeah. Yeah. Tax havens, naturally. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and I think the Bermuda one is interesting because you can register there, but not be subject to their operating rules. If you are subject to operating rules in a different country, which is what the Russians do, so you're subject to Russian operating rules, but uh, Bermudan registry, it's a just, you know, they, they basically have made themselves this sort of haven <laughs> um, in many ways, but uh, makes it easy for that sort of business to happen and they make a few bucks on the deals. Um, but yeah, like th- to get the planes out and where do you put them and how do you get them far enough? And uh, the, the, the logistics of that is not something my brain wants to work on right now. <laughs> um, so Cutter has made an announcement that the, they're switching frequent flyer programs or points programs, I should say. Currencies. Yeah. It's uh God obvious. Uh, this right, is they, weird to me, right? It? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, probably why? But I'm, you tell me <laughs> why, like, why you're they... asking why change. Yeah, like why change? It's they just don't want to manage it anymore. That's my guess, right? They own between ten and twenty percent of IAG. I forget exactly how much these days, mm-hmm. right? So you've already inv- and IAG loyalty is a subsidiary of that, which runs the Avios program and already manages all the partnerships and does all those other things. In some ways, it's easy to say, you know what? Like we're already paying for it why don't we use this thing that has more partners already built and all these relationships and has the economies of scale that when we want to, you know, sell points to Marriott, we get a better deal or whatever, you know, whatever all those things are in some ways that makes sense to me where it gets interesting is the, the Q miles program, the Qatar loyalty program is kind of terrible in a lot of ways. Um, Mm. Like they went online only for redemptions, but their version of online only is send us an email. <laughs> it's, it's the Singapore of, of, of the Middle East. Well, at least that, but not at least Singapore was just for uh, <laughs> refunds. This is for like, so you got to email them and hope the seats there when someone bothers to read your email. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty sure that hasn't changed. They did that a few years back. Like, but they also do a distance based award chart for partners. So like, there's some arbitrage options between like, okay, I've got Avios and you can, you're supposedly going to be able to freely move them between the British Airways Avios and Qatar Avios. And I'm not sure between the others, but like, 
all right, if you get like this one award and it's the same inventory on a partner, you got to now calculate which which obvious to use based mm, on how which many one points gives you a better be. deal. Yeah, what yeah. deal are you going to get? So like where are the points, all those things. So um, th- th- there's some really interesting considerations there. I don't know. To me, it's I would say it's a marginal enough program that I don't care. Obviously, yeah. there's a lot of people to whom that's not entirely the case, but. You know, as, as loyalty program changes the, in the past 10 days ago, that one is relatively lightweight to me. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, Foz? Like, is this, is this a, a, an added, is this, is this a good ad for frequent flyers or is this one of those things where it's like, meh, whatever. I, I don't think it's, I think in some ways it's a non-event. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I wonder if it's more to drive a closer alignment of IAG than anything else of, of like just the programs as a whole, the IAG run programs. Well, given, given and the Cutter, airline, yeah, given Cutter more control or, or more perceived control of mm. IAG. Gotcha. Um, so right. Remember if we go back a couple years ago when there was the big onslaught against the Gulf airlines, BA never really partook in that. Yeah. Uh, and this could be a hedge in some ways of preventing something like that from happening again. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it could be for sure. For sure. Um, the program that you care about, Seth, <laughs> the announcement that you care about is Americans announcement that there are no more E one E 500s. Yeah. No more stickers, buyers. no more upgrade stickers. Uh, do you think this is a good thing? I mean, do you I, use your E 500s? I've tried. Uh, I could not possibly care less is the, is the honest answer. I have too many points in America and I need to cash them out and keep getting screwed every time I try to do that. So um, one way or another, the trips don't work out. Um, I'm over my last three or four, but the, you know, my, my take on it is like in many ways it now aligns. Uh, so only gold and platinum and American had to do that, right? The, 75k and the 100k tiers or what was executive platinum and i don't remember the platinum pro or platinum pro platinum Platinum pro and executive platinum had unlimited upgrades anyways platinum and uh gold had to use these e500s and they're they're called stickers because back in the day like you you actually got a you got stickers in your elite packet when they used to mail those out and then you'd peel them off and they put them on the ticket and then you get your upgrades um also, American used to sell them because you only got a limited number, and if you wanted more, you paid like I think it was thirty-five or forty bucks each. At one point, I had I actually bought one at one point, I think, because my <laughs> account was messed up, and I just wanted that. Like, oh well, you can get home the same day, but it's going to cost you fifty dollars, but it'll be in first class. I was like, yeah, whatever, fine, just whatever. <laughs> um, somehow, I have thirty something of them right now, uh, and I've been. To- they said that if you don't use them, they'll be converted to two hundred and fifty loyalty points, which is the new sort of all-inclusive, uh, all-encompassing uh, qualification points, right? what you get from some credit card partners and some third-party partners and also from flying. And so I'm going to have 9,500 uh, elite point, loyalty points of the 30,000 I'd need for gold. Oh, I was going to say, so a swift kick in the eye. Okay. Yeah. And like, <laughs> if I cared about American status or if I was maybe already a platinum and had been collecting, or if I was an executive platinum or platinum pro, because you still earn them, even though you never used them because you could use them for companions. Yeah. Um, 
it, it is a one-time nice to have to convert them to loyalty points. I think if American really wanted to do that sort of, they should have at one, I think it's gone now. You used to be able to convert them to 500 miles of reward miles. Yeah. I would like a one-time option to do that. At least if I'm going to do that, I'll get, I'll take my, you know, 18,000 points rather than 9,000 elite points that I'm never going to use and value um, from. But so I get some people like that might be the difference between someone qualifying for the next tier this year. If you had enough of them, um, or you have a hundred of them. That's like twenty five thousand points. That that gets to be real. Um, if you've been EXP for a while, you might have that many. But for me, and for I think for most of the the people who theoretically benefit from this because they're either gold or platinum, and now don't have to worry about E five hundreds for upgrades, I think they probably mostly don't have enough where it's going to be a material change in their qualifying this year. And so yeah. I kind of just don't care. Yeah. I mean, the one group of people that do miss out are non-elites, because non-elites historically could use E500s on uh, Y and B fares. Only would, they fair. buy, would, but, would they buy them? Is that how it worked? Yeah. Gotcha. Or if you, if you were elite and you had them. Or if you were elite, you could upgrade someone else on a Y fare. Or yeah, but, fair, it, yeah or, but, or if you were elite and you earned them and then you became non-elite, you gotcha, could still yeah. use them on full fares. But these days, I mean... I, mean, I guess there's rules about business travel that I generally don't have to follow. So maybe I might, I'm a little <laughs> biased here. Um, if you're buying a Y or a B fare, why wouldn't you just buy the whatever just kind of usually, usually, on? usually cheaper F fare. Right. <laughs> well, generally I would say those it's because those Y B fares are price locked ahead of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Corporate contracts or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, what do you think, Foz? Do you think uh, is, are you heartbroken? Are you going to miss your E five hundreds? Are you going to? Do you care? Not really. Do you have any? I have like twenty eight. Okay. I, I went and looked earlier, and I couldn't tell you the last time I used one. So that's seven thousand status loyalty points for you. I, I know, and I don't know if I'm going to be earning any more with American. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the same problem I have. I might. I think one of my credit cards might have been registered to American Dining, so I might. I might get some from that. <laughs> Oh man, uh, and we'll talk. We'll talk a little bit about your your AA woes in the bonus sh- show, yeah. Seth, for for our Patreon subscribers. So, um, lastly, Eastern Airlines uh, did not get their ETOPS reading. Yeah, that's awkward. Um, <laughs> like, it's like you didn't pass the test. Well, <laughs> it's even worse than that. They. Uh... It was, let's say, you know, it's like the SATs where you had like four or five sessions that you had to sit through. Mm-hmm. And they got through, like, they got to the, like, first break. And the FAA was like, yeah, it doesn't matter what the rest of the, how you do the rest of this, you're not going to pass. So we're just going to stop now. <laughs> wow. Stop the test early. Yeah. And uh, the, plane, the plane was in Honolulu at the time. They had to, and then the FAA had to issue a special uh, operating certificate to let them fly it back across the water. Why could they not pass? Well, the, the, you'll be shocked to learn the company didn't answer my query. Um, <laughs> but the, from what I can gather and sort of put together on the timeline, it was supposed to be officially a four-flight uh, test. It was going to be JFK to Honolulu, Honolulu to Guam, Guam to Anchorage, Anchorage to JFK. And that last one isn't ETOPS, but it gets you the full loop. Um, 
And so ETOPS is not just about flying the planes, right? So a lot of it is documentation, it's maintenance processes, it's having the operations in place so that if something goes wrong, the right people are available and handle all of those things correctly and having all the paperwork. There's a lot more to it than just, you know, like flying over water and making sure you know the engines keep spinning. Um, and so it's not entirely clear what went wrong, but the plane did its first JFK to Honolulu test two days, a day or two late because it had some maintenance issues. So that's not okay. a good start. No. Um, b- better than going out broken. Sure. But like having to delay the test with the FAA waiting around because your plane was broken for a, where a big part of it is, do you maintain the planes well enough? It has to be a little <laughs> awkward. Um, and then from there, they got just past the West Coast. And I would assume it was because the test is, can you handle a diversion correctly? Someone on the flight deck or in the test team was like, diversion, your right engine's out. What do you do? And like, they have to do it, right? Um, and they turned around and went to Oakland and they were there for a little bit. And then, I don't remember, it's the next, I think it's just the next day, they then flew on to Honolulu. And when they got to Honolulu, the FAA pulled the plug. <laughs> so, you did not handle that diversion no. well. And so what's <laughs> also weird, though, is like Eastern bought the was it Dynamics certificate and Dynamic had ETOPS. So they sort of managed to lose it. It's not just, it's not just that they didn't get it. They managed to lose it. Oh man. I award you no points. Yeah. Oh may God have mercy on your soul. Exactly. Do, not, uh, do not Pasco. Do not collect $200. Um, let's raise some questions, but I think a lot of their South America routes are still okay because they stay close enough to the islands and whatever that it's over water, but not ETOPS. Um, but yeah, there's some, there's some routes that aren't going to be flying. Uh, and it raises questions. They had they brought on the triple sevens to they were have some passenger and some cargo, but they were planning transatlantic transpacific operations with that. And they're I mean, you can do either transpacific or transatlantic without ETOPS, but it's a terrible idea. Um, operationally it's less uh, flexible. Uh, so yeah, fun times. So now how long do they have to wait before they can try again? Uh, a while. Months. Okay. Yeah. This isn't like uh, you failed your driving test, come back in six weeks and try again. Failed your driving test, come back tomorrow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, I actually don't know what the rules are that are because I passed mine, but um, I'm sure it's <laughs> you know, traumatic for many people. Um, it's like those It's like those online tests, you know, you have to take for like workplace compliance or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you didn't score 80%. <laughs> would, you like to, would you like to go again? The answers are in the same order. <laughs> yes. <laughs> These are the ones you got wrong. The answers will be in the same order next time. Please take notes. Exactly. exactly. Um, well, I think, I mean, I think that's a show, guys. I think we're going to talk a little bit about your schedules and uh, just why you're avoiding American in general stuff. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, yeah. And we, we actually have some, pat- uh, some patrons, uh, Mark and Eric A., Thanks for supporting the show, and thanks to all our Patreon subscribers. Uh, and again, I think I, we've heard from a few people on my comments last show um, on kind of going forward, what the plan is, and kind of what we're thinking about future shows. Um, we'd love to hear feedback from more folks. So if you have thoughts, leave a comment or tweet us. I'm happy to hear from you. So uh, until next time, happy travels. Bye-bye. Take care. Catch you later.